Welcome to the Digital Marketing Podcast, brought to you by TargetInternet.com. Hello and welcome back to the Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Kieran Rogers and today, listeners, we have an interview with Minta Dial. And Minta, I've been following you on Twitter for a while. You you cover all sorts of topics, but just kind of give us a little bit of intro about you, who you are and, and where you come from, that kind of thing. At 53 years old, you end up accumulating all sorts of histories. So let's say my my uh, elevator pitch is that I'm 53, married with two children, and have changed countries 15 times in my life. So I like to say that change is a part of me. Uh, I've also had 34 different domicile addresses during those 53 years. <laughs> If I were to describe myself, I, I kind of feel of myself, I don't belong to any one country. I like to take the best out of each. In terms of my my life, the thing that pulls it all together is I like to say I'm a connector, storyteller, and someone who likes to elevate the debate. And you've written a book all about disruption and why we should care about it. You Tell us a little bit more about the book. Because that's, that's really what I want to focus on today, and it's a really interesting subject you've written on. So the name of the book is Future Proof, How to Get Your Business Ready for the Next Disruption. It's co-written with my great pal, Caleb Storkey, a man from the north. And the idea of this book uh, is to really mobilize people around disruption. And rather than focusing just on what it is and, and large theorizing, the ambition of the book is, A, to carefully curate what are the most disruptive forces and B, provide some kind of strong roadmap, action plan, orientation for brands and leaders and entrepreneurs to know what to do about them. Because it's all great to know intellectually that artificial intelligence is there. But then if I'm a businessman working as a middle line manager or an entrepreneur with 10 people, What's it to me and how do I integrate it into my business? And that's what the purpose of the book is. And tell us a little bit more about Caleb. He sounds fascinating. Tell me more about him. Well, he is. Uh, so Caleb and I have been a perfect match. We really come from different areas. I'm sort of older, corporate, 16 years at L'Oreal and working in investment banks and so on, although I've had two entrepreneurial experiences before the mindset. Mm-hmm. Caleb a man from the north, living in London, married as well with two kids. Uh, he is younger. He's about to hit another milestone in the number of 40. But he, his background is much more entrepreneurial. He runs uh, Storky Media, which is, of course, helping. Uh, it's an agency that helps businesses on their media and their creative needs. And he's he brings to this table a strongly practical entrepreneurial spirit. So whereas Minter sometimes adds these large multisyllabic words, Caleb just brings it back down to brass tacks. And that is the, the beautiful mix that we've uh, created together. He's a northerner. They're, they're well, well known for, for telling it how it is. I love that. That's good. Exactly right. So what is Future Proof about and who is it for? All right. So Future Proof is about the disruptive forces. There are 15 as identified in the book, 12 of which are nominally technologies, not necessarily new, because some have been around for a long time, like AI. Mm -hmm. Of the 15, there are also three that deal with mindsets. 
And these mindsets are truly the most disruptive component of the whole lot. So with regard to this, these mindsets, they essentially are everybody's all the time. Now, what I mean by that is that whether you're working or not, we're all customers. And naturally, the first port of call is going to be to organize yourself around helping get your business better, which means having more customers that are buying more from you and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. However, in the meantime, you also need to know that your employees need to be your number one customers, your number one fans. Mm. And so you, you have this real challenge to have the internal mindsets of an organization, therefore, let's call it the culture, that is created and crafted in such a way to leverage and optimize the way you explore and communicate externally. And the challenge with all of this for leaders of business, whether you're an entrepreneur or a big business, as the CEO at C-Suite, is actually figuring out the path through that. And one of the most important parts of our book is to say that actually this, the responsibility for the leadership is also to be acting themselves and learning and doing it themselves as opposed to dictating it from on high, looking over your glasses and saying, well, that would be a really good thing for you all to do. Mm. No, it starts with your own digital hygiene and understanding. Because if you commission an agency to do a Facebook program for you, but you don't know what it's like to have that rude thing pop up in your stream, then of course you're going to pay the agency to do these silly programs that cost a fair amount of money now and won't be quite as effective because people are going to start unsubscribing from you. Hmm. You need to understand it in your own gut. I couldn't agree more with that. I think very often, uh, because by its very nature, more senior people tend to be uh, focused on summaries and therefore key metrics. You get this situation where they look at the volume and they're not necessarily understanding for any one campaign who within those large numbers it's turning on and off. You know, is it is it is it just appealing to a mass audience, or is it actually doing that, but also you know really hacking off your core customers because yeah, it doesn't quite ring true true to the brand. Minter, many of our listeners may quite naturally feel quite complacent about disruption. I think very often it's one of those fascinating things that happens to other people or other industries, and, and that's not necessarily the case. Is there anything you can share with us that really gives an insight and, and can convince people feeling a little bit of complacent about disruption that they really should take it seriously wherever they are? Well, the the natural way I go with that is to highlight all the examples of these companies that are now under lock and key because they didn't bother thinking about it in enough time. The little example I'm going to bring, I think, which is, is relevant today, even if there are big names, still is, is very illuminating in the larger business case. There's Elon Musk, who is saying that within two years' time, Tesla will have a level five fully autonomous car. And it, level five is the highest form of autonomy, as you probably know, that there are five different levels. Mm-hmm. Ford saying, oh, my gosh, this is... This, well, first of all, they began to say it's not important. And then they sort of taking it, stock of its importance, and then the last CEO said, "Well, well I think we should be getting. We, I think we should be able to get a level four by the year 2021. In other words, four years from now. So that is late and less. And I think the stock market completely understands that by the fact that they have a, such a lower valuation than Tesla does, despite the not making money, and selling one small fraction of the number of cars that Ford is. One of the chapters in the book is around the autonomous car or a 
assisted driving cars. Mm -hmm. And naturally, of the people or the sectors that are going to be impacted, there are those who are directly involved in autonomous cars. Mm -hmm. I, I could not talk about that. However, it turns out that there are a lot of other complementary areas which will be impacted that, of course, include the cities and how they are being run. It will also include, at a more personal level, the way your employees come to the business, whatever your business is in. So if you're not thinking at some point, how can I leverage my business and or the comfort and satisfaction of my employees with autonomous cars in, let's say, two years' time, then you're going to miss a beat because by the time it comes out, you'll be one step behind your competitor who actually figured out that providing a fleet of autonomous cars for your employees not only increases their satisfaction, it'll increase their productivity. Because instead of driving one and a half hours and getting frustrated with, with honking horns and, and traffic jams, they're working in the back doing conference calls, which allows them to come back home at 3 o'clock instead of 5 o'clock. And on the way home, they're still working. That is an example of the type of disruption that's out there. You might read about it, but the problem is you actually need to learn about it. I don't know if you, Karen, have ever driven, a, let's say, a level two, which is basically the type of cars that are on the road today. But a level two is a massive difference versus a, a regular car. And until, if you haven't done a level two car in two years' time, you will be way behind in not understanding what it's about. Naturally, a level two car doesn't really actually help us move the plot forward. We need to get into the autonomous cars in order to be really having an impact on productivity and so on. But even having a level two car is a massively more comfortable feeling as a driver. So you might end up, if you have a lot of people over time, having less accidents because of the nature of safety that the AI in the car is providing. You'll have less frustrated, less fatigued employees if everyone has a level two car as opposed to a regular car. Mm. I don't mm. know if that speaks to that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I think, I think the point that you're making is that, look, you know, this can happen in one industry, but it, it, it's actually affecting how people are spending their time on, on mass potentially. Um, and actually, I can see from what you're saying that actually the, the social divide that these new devices could drive will drive a demand for the for the product uh, enormously. You know, why would I want to be driving my 0.45 level car, which is <laughs> probably closer to what I currently drive when when I'm mi missing out on, you know, not only something that gets you from A to B, but gives you something we're all really sure of now, which is more time. Absolutely right. And so within the book, the things that we try to identify are, A, you have these specific technologies that have massive impact. But for the large part of them, they are interrelated. So it's not just about autonomous cars. It's autonomous cars and AI, for example, or and Internet of Things and or big data. So if you start wanting to, if you want to open up a retail store, and you're not figuring out how IoT and autonomous cars could be impacting your traffic flow, you need to start thinking about the stuff earlier. So one of the key strands in, in dealing with disruption, uh, as you'd expect with the, the book, is digital transformation. What's the difference, in your opinion, between Jim jumping on the digital transformation bandwagon and actually reaping the rewards from it? Because I think you made some interesting distinctions on that. Well, I think there's pretty much not a single person or major company that hasn't gotten on the bandwagon. So in the end of the day, if you're not on it, then you are even further behind. The, the challenge is that going from saying it, thinking it, and doing it. 
And my strong belief is that it has to start with the individuals, especially at the top of the company. And what I mean by that, it's not like they need to have set up a committee and get this thing ruling and then hire some consultants. What I actually fundamentally feel is that for whatever the technology is, based on the strategic objectives that you have, the individuals at the top of the company actually need to be doing the work themselves which means that they actually need to be going out. And if they don't have a, a, a level two car, we'll go out and get a Hertz Volvo S90 and, or you know some BMW new series and, and do the experience and see, well, what is that like? What do you think it f- makes you feel? And what do you think it could do for your employees should you roll it out? And going back to the strategic issue is that I think a lot of companies lack a clear and shared understanding of what are the strategic imperatives. Of course, you want to make money. But what is the true strategy of the company? And if that strategy is not clear and precise and well shared, then the issue is you end up jumping on the next shiny object. You end up trying to do all of digital because ultimately digital is touching everything in the company. So it's about having a clear understanding of strategy and then applying what digital technologies, and I say with an S because they are interrelated, that will help you to achieve your strategic objectives. What was the most personally transformational thing you learned through through writing this book? Well, I'm going to say a shout out to Caleb for um, injecting more personal stories. I think in the end of the day, we need to believe and feel digital. And in the end of the day, we really all operate through our emotional being, not our rational being. So with Caleb, this is this is great enlightenment uh, with his wonderful personality, which is an effervescent man that he is, bringing in these personal stories, which is really something I've always felt otherwise, but I didn't think it was necessary or even possible in a book. And, and he made me, uh, he really brought the best out of me in that case. One of the challenges in setting up this interview, uh, Minter, was, was it's a big subject, Actually, and actually, it's you know, it's it, the book goes into things in quite a lot of depth, and I really wanted to to give our readers a little bit of a taste uh, of some of the great content that that's in there. And in in the book, you explore three mindsets dealing with a disruptive world, which we we touched on earlier. We've got meaningfulness, responsibility, and collaboration. And uh, you know, I found it really interesting that for you, meaningfulness is one of the most important mindsets. Can you just explain what is meaningfulness? In short, meaningfulness is having a a sense of purpose. It's something that one hears a lot about. But in the end of the day, change is a hard thing to do, and especially in large organizations where there's a lot of entropy and lethargy. So if you can inject meaningfulness into what you're trying to do, it's going to help move your cruise liner to be more powerful and more effective. So what does meaningfulness mean? Well, it means having a a sense that what I'm doing has a bigger purpose than just the task at hand. There are very large purposes, and there are also very smaller senses, things that can be done at the task level to provide meaningfulness. So that means, for example, if I give you a task and you accomplish it, that provides meaningfulness for you. It doesn't have to be all about Mother Teresa and fixing the world. but there are, So there are ways to inject it in the smaller micro levels of a day, but there's a more powerfully when you have a sense of purpose for your organization. So let's say you are making some kind of beans. Well, beans, we all know what they do for you. But <laughs> but beans are also part of your food and, and you are what you eat. 
So are you linking your project, your product, to this notion of how you are improving people's well-being? And for everyone in the organization, do they realize and recognize what part of what they're doing is supplementing that larger cause? So this sense of meaningfulness, especially in a world where we actually have choices, where the choice is what we do, although we have very limited time. And, and I think in this world, we're also completely overwhelmed with communications and multiple devices and really a lot of choices. The, the ones who feel inhabited by a greater sense of purpose, a greater sense of meaningfulness in what they're doing, will get up a little earlier with a faster beat to their walk and, I think, be more engaged in what they're doing. So this meaningfulness, I think, is, is so important in this sense of this, this sort of financial rush that everybody's in on a short-term basis so that we get a sense of, of a greater satisfaction in the small time that we are on this earth, that we're doing something that has something better than just making money for shareholders. It is interesting in that simply making profit and money is not terribly meaningful, or certainly it doesn't reach out to the hearts of the, of the masses and make them think, that's amazing. That's really amazing what you do. You make money. <laughs> yeah. My distinct feeling is that if you're going to go and do business and you're going to spend 12 hours of your day, why not? do something more meaningful. So it's our encouragement for those who have that in their ilk to go out and do it, whether you're leading the company or working within a company, provide meaningfulness. I mean, you can do it with your family, by the way, much less in a business. So, I mean, you describe meaningfulness as the, you know, one of the most disruptive of the three mindsets that you highlight. Why, why is that? <laughs> well, I think that most companies don't don't, it's not on the radar. You know, let's say if you're an entrepreneur, you're basically starting it up, and as we know, most entrepreneurs don't work out. And this idea of adding meaningfulness into it, oh, wait a second, don't bother me with that. I, I don't even have time for it. Just like branding. So a lot of entrepreneurs don't really get into branding. And I think that contributes to the burnout. It contributes to the failures because they haven't spent time on these sort of larger concepts. We're all about trying to make the product work and and make your employees more efficient and more effective. Whereas if you spent some portion of your time, not all of it, and some elements of your resources, not all, on meaningfulness, then you're more likely to create a more long-term durable company. It is interesting. You sort of create an energy that supercharges things, I guess, don't you? If, if something actually has meaning and it's something that actually can reach out and, and I can care about it, it does create that energy. Yeah, and I think that it, it – but it's not an easy thing to necessarily do. I call it finding your north star, your north star. And if you think about your organization, most companies are saying, well, I need to progress. I want to make more money and more profitability. That's sort of what everybody does. The challenge is finding a more precise definition of your north that not only is shared by everybody, is also different from others. So that's basically, if you will, another way of expressing what is a brand. And – once you've got that, then you need to make sure you're hiring for that same value set and attitude. Because if you as a CEO are not representing it, then you're absolutely screwed. Secondly, if you're not hiring people who are buying into that mentality, that attitude, that mindset from the beginning, then you will inevitably over time lose that energy that you're just talking about. So it's about having this group of people that can have great diversity in terms of their profiles, but have to have this link with one or two or, or three maybe values, but not more within your organization. That that really resonates for me. And I'll, I'll tell you why. I, many years ago, I worked for a lovely company called Lizelle Skincare. 
and they had this thing called the Precious Recipe, which, to be honest, when I first joined, it was it was a little bit little bit out there. And the Precious Recipe was a whole set of you know really important core values that everybody in the company you know subscribed to, and as it, it was a very simple document, it was a one pager. Uh, and it'll be written right at the company's foundation by the by the founders and the the first employees. And they they wanted to set out what was important. Why why are we doing this? Um, and and what are our values? And this this thing became absolute law. It was constantly used throughout everything that we that we did at the company. And um, if if anybody from Lizelle uh, <laughs> is listening to this, I I have gained an enormous amount from what I learned from that precious recipe it was very certainly very customer focused um and very much about doing things for for the customer but also about having a great ethos and having a lot of fun fun doing it and it, it was interesting they would even turn to the precious recipe when they were facing difficult you know board decisions well you know what does the precious recipe say we should do so actually that little bit of time spent early on within the company's foundation uh, laid the foundations for you know a lot of success and a lot of growth i'm, I'm quite convinced of it well, Karen, it's interesting you mentioned that in another beauty world, because I used to run Redken Worldwide, and we were in 40 countries, and we were owned by L'Oreal. And despite being owned by L'Oreal, which has its own corporate culture very strong, within Redken, we were able to craft a very specific space and hire, even within or without, a very specific, different type of person. And and the challenge, or the really the strongest in impression I came away with was that writing that precious recipe is, is super important. It's a really interesting exercise for your team to get together on. The key is twofold. One is expressing that recipe and breaking it down into specific actions, behaviors, vocabulary, rites, rituals, signals that become more obvious to everybody and become really an explicit version of your culture. The second thing is that it has to be led and operated by, walked the talk, as they say, by the CEO and his or her sweet seat. Yes, I agree. It can't be something that, um, you know, a PR agency has spun. You know, it, has to exactly. be, it has to become the, the way, really. It is the way. And the way is the way, the way we talk, the way we interact. Yeah. And, and it needs to have integrity amongst our employees, you need to have – there's some great guy, um, Robin Sharma from Toronto, said, make sure your audio is aligned with your video. And in this case, I, I think that you need to have a culture internally which is aligned with your external desires. Because, of course, we want to gain the clients and gain more money. Mm. But you need to make sure that what and how you operate internally is aligned with what you're trying to achieve externally. For example – you really want to be customer focused. Okay, well then a customer writes a message, let's say on some social media, they will expect to be responded to very quickly. If internally your email practice is more about CYA, aka BCC, or cover your ass, and it takes six or seven different people to authorize and approve different communications, well, you're not going to get it. Mm. So you need to create a culture of immediacy and responsibility within the organization that recognizes the importance of the customer throughout. So it needs to start within, and it helps you actually operate without. That's good. Well, meaning, meaningfulness, one of the uh, the, the core mindsets. And uh, there, there are two more really important ones there for people to explore as well. I really like, one of the things about the book I really like is is that you've added a pie 
at the end of every chapter, which I thought was really clever. Can you explain what this pie is and how it how it works? Yeah, well, you can have your cake and eat it too. So <laughs> the idea of the pie, as with every chapter, mindset or technological force, is to break it into some kind of action plan for the reader. And, and very importantly, we start with the individual, because the second chapter is all about responsibility and about self-responsibility. So that as an individual reading the book, it's important that he or she actually takes it on board for her or himself. So the P starts, it's about your personal action plan. What should you, Kieran, be doing tomorrow morning or right after this call? What should you be typing, looking at, doing to get involved? The I stands for internal which means what should you be doing within your organization and what are the first things you can start to be doing starting tomorrow and, of course, looking further out. And then the E is for external. What can you be doing with your external stakeholders and or customers? So it really starts with your, your personal hygiene, what you're doing individually. Your I is making sure that your internal organization is optimized in such a way to better operate with your external people. I don't, I just really liked it. Very often when you sit down to read a book, you take on a lot of, you know, really interesting stuff. And then that's great. And then you you put the book down and you do nothing about it. And this <laughs> this was one of the more challenging parts for for me in reading it actually, because actually you come across you, you sort of hit hit the reader with lots of suggestions on actually, okay, so you know, you agree with this. We've made a really good case for it. What are you going to do about it? Well, we we'd recommend if you want to get started, let's try this and try this and try this. And it's it's about self-transformation, it's about, you know, influencing your organization, and then it's also about, you know, influencing external factors. And I guess lining everything up so that it all works and rings true. Hundred percent. The three mindsets we have at the beginning are hopefully a strong flavor for everybody. Of course, it's going to you know, take up uh, the first something like 90 pages talking about this. But if you don't get them, then you won't get the next 12. And, and the, third, the third mindset is collaboration. And why is that important? Well, of course, we're talking about, you know, oh, I need to work better, break down the silos, short. But we also have to recognize that a lot of these forces operate together. And there's no way you can be the expert of all of them. So you need, by definition, to be working with external experts and parties to, in order to understand better and leverage these technologies together. And the, the cocktail of technologies you choose, of course, has to be linked to the strategy you're trying to implement. But the experts and the ecosystem, the collaboration partners with whom you're working, need to be then adopted and adapted according to what your needs are. So... There's this, my desire is to open people's minds up, to give them energy, back to your point, where they have that desire, the, the angst, the, the curiosity, the excitement to go and, and fight through what is going to be hard, which is change. And as I read at the very beginning with my great friend, Sam Villa, who was one of my mentors in my life, he said, change is for sure, growth is the option. So what do you hope people are really going to gain from, from reading this book, Minta? What do I hope people are going to read for, gain from reading the book? Well, at the very least, they're going to gain a few case studies that they haven't heard about. They're going to have a better understanding of what are the technologies that are the most important, separating out some of the chafe from the wheat, and hopefully going to get another energetic step in their walk by looking for something more meaningful 
by feeling more responsible as opposed to a victim of what's happening. And by collaborating people, sharing with people, finding out that actually life can be a whole lot more enjoyable. And as we mentioned briefly, a little bit more mindful in our lives, because yeah, we all need to make money. And of course, um, this is something of a luxury for some people, because if you're you know, a poor person in, in the middle of, of India, it's a different kind of story and a survival quest. But even, even at the lowest levels, we can all be doing something that's more meaningful. And as I said, it can be broken down into smaller pieces, as I have broken down, and we've broken down in the book into five Ps, and the different ways you can, you can find meaningfulness in your life. So start with that. And hopefully it'll be uh, part of a movement of learning how to future-proof your business. I, I think it really could be. Um, it, I read a lot of books uh, around this subject, and I think the thing that really struck me with this is actually you really are creating sort of a set of of, of conditions and guides to help people cope with any form of disruption. I know you've, you've got some good examples in the book, but actually the very nature of disruption is you don't necessarily know where it's going to come from. <laughs> no. and, and actually to take go to the extent of not, you know, I've read a few books on, you know, preparing your, your business for transformational change and, and disruption and stuff. And that's all well and good. But, you know, what I really liked about this is that actually you, you go into, you know, how should individuals be be preparing for for this inevitable disruption which you know certainly from everything that i'm seeing and reading at the moment i think the the rate of change is set to grow and become more disruptive almost exponentially you know i don't think we've even begun to to realize quite how different the world may be within just five to 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 ten years i certainly don't know what the future exactly holds but i know it's going to be radically different at a faster pace than it is today. And so we, I think you just need to get in this mode of understanding that it's always going to be changing. And one of the key things that Caleb and I really felt was important is that it has to happen at the individual level. So you have to have the self-responsibility, take hold of, for example, your cybersecurity at an individual level, take hold of your personal branding at an individual, don't delegate this out to some agency. You've got to be doing it yourself because the quicker and sooner you start doing that, the better able you're, you're going to understand the next layer that comes on, the next Facebook, the next Google, the next Tesla. Because sure as night will follow day, there will be other players coming in. And I'm not suggesting that Facebook is going to disappear, but there, were going to, there are going to be other massive new players coming in and they will completely shift paradigms. And I'm talking, for example, within genomics. It's a, we're not, it's not even on the radar for the vast majority of companies, but genomics could materially change the way we market. Are we getting ready for it? Well, I think it's a fascinating book and uh, I thank you for, for sharing it with me. Uh, if we want to get hold of the book, um, you know, when's it out and, and where can we get hold of it? Thank you, Karen, for having me on your show. It's been a delight. I love your uh, podcast. I've been a fan from uh, for many many years so as far as the book is concerned we have our main hub which is futureproof.ly futureproofly get your business futureproofly uh, it'll be coming out on september 7th on uh, all good e-retailers including amazon.co.uk and we're going to be doing a book launch in london on the 12th of september to be followed exactly where and otherwise Contact me on MDial on Twitter and or on LinkedIn. You'll find me. But if you do it on LinkedIn, make sure you explain who you are and why. All right. Fantastic. Well, Mintus, thanks so much for, for getting in touch. Thanks so much for your time. And we wish you the very best of luck with the book launch. Many thanks, Karen. 
listening to another episode of the Digital Marketing Podcast brought to you by Target Internet. If you'd like to get more information on the show, get hold of back issues of this podcast or get details on any of the links we've mentioned, please visit our website at www.targetinternet.com. If you've enjoyed the show, we would love to read your feedback. Please rate us in iTunes or even better, write us a review. Or if you have any questions, please get in touch. We'd love to help.